Good morning. Uh, my name is Dan. I am one of the members here, and if you would stay standing, uh, we are going to read God's Word today. Uh, we're going to be reading from Exodus 32. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, that's fine. The words will be up on the screen for you. If you do not have a Bible at home, uh, there are Bibles in the back on the table. You can either grab one now um, or on your way out. We'd love for you to have the Word of God in your hands. Uh, Exodus 32, verses 1 through 8. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make for us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning uh, as our God who saves us and delivers us. Uh, and God, we are so prone to uh, stray and to move away from you. God, to follow those that are not deserving of our leadership um, or our hearts. Um, and we just pray that this morning your word would go forth and that you would speak through me, Spirit, that you would speak and uh, that you would transform hearts as you are wont to do. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, my name is Dan. I am one of the members here. Um, if you have been coming for the last month, you might think that I do this all the time. Uh, that's not true. This is uh, my second time this month, but third time ever for the table. Um, Cody, our pastor, is off in Oklahoma this weekend. He is at a conference for uh, the church planting organization that sent us out. And so he is there enjoying some fellowship with those people and uh, returning our thanks to them for the gift that they gave us uh, financially and uh, to, to help us plant this church. Um, this one at least was planned, so I had a little bit of preparation time around. Um, so thank you uh, for being here. We're so excited uh, that you are here. If you are new, uh, you know, thank you. Please come back when, uh, when our pastor's here to uh, get the, the full picture. But um, we've been in a series called Exodus, uh, working through the book of Exodus and later Numbers um, in the, the next half of our, our series about Israel coming out of Egypt and uh, 
wandering in the wilderness until they get to this land that God promised them. Um, one of the things we know about Egypt and the people of Israel is that when Israel left, they left behind everything that was familiar to them. Israel, the nation of Israel, went down as one family of about 70 people. They were there for 400 years in Egypt before being called by God as a nation at this point out of the land of Egypt. Everything they knew was in Egypt. Everything they knew they had left behind when they were called out. I remember in the middle of sixth grade, uh, I moved from Wisconsin to Arizona. It was kind of a traumatic experience for a uh, 11, 12-year-old in the middle of sixth grade, and I remember just missing so many things. There are still so many things I miss today, especially this time of year with fall leaves and the first snow um, and things that I just wish uh, I could still participate in regularly, uh, yearly. And I remember at the time really wishing I could go back, that this was not a move I wanted to make. I knew that for my family it was what was best because my dad's job had moved out here um, and he had been living out here for about three months uh, while we were selling our house back there. And so it was both reuniting with family and it was going to be uh, the best thing for us going forward. But I missed it. Um, and it was... I wanted to hold on to something familiar. And so when we moved into our new house down here, I littered the walls and my bedspread and everything else with Packers paraphernalia. <laughs> I am a lifelong Packers fan. I know they play the Cardinals this week and, or Thursday, and I will be cheering for the Packers. I'm sorry. But... Um, there's this sense of us that when we leave what's familiar, we want to hold on to a piece of that. There's part of it that just still grips at our heart, that is hard to give up. You know, I think even on a larger scale, let's say nationally, the United States has been around for 250 years, not even as long as these people were in Egypt. Think of what it would mean for you to be called out of the United States back to uh, another land that you don't know, may not be familiar with, what would you miss? What would you bring with you? What would that mean for you and your family to leave what is familiar and go? Israel felt this too. They had something that was somewhat familiar from the, the time in Egypt, and that was a man named Moses. Moses was the man that God anointed to call them out of Egypt, to bring them out of slavery and bondage and bring them into this land that God had promised. He was their security blanket. And psychologists call items like this transitional objects, especially with young children. It uh, could be a favorite toy, a stuffed animal, a blanket, an article of clothing, anything that makes the transition from close proximity to mom which represents safety and security to sleeping in our own beds at night. And when that item goes missing, it can be traumatic. Have you ever freaked out when your security blanket has gone missing? Just this week, uh, my son, Brooks, um, realized that he couldn't find Jerry and Raffi, who were two stuffed animals, stuffed giraffes, 
that were his security blankets. Uh, when he was transitioning out of our room as an infant into his own bed, he brought these stuffed giraffes with him. Jerry and Rafi were inseparable from him for years, and they had went gone. They had gone missing. And I, he's not one to get super upset and just cry and make a big fuss, but he wandered around the house this week just saying, where's Jerry and Rafi? Where are they? And just wandering throughout the house for almost an hour, trying to figure out where these two stuffed giraffes had gone. And we still can't find them, so you can pray for him. <laughs> we are not that unlike the Israelites if we have freaked out when we've lost our safety blanket. In those 400 years in Egypt, God had not spoken much to the people of Israel. He was not, it's not, he's not described as being close to them or of the Israelites walking with God during this time. In fact, it appears as if this is a time when they walked away from or lost sight of who God was. And yet, God did not forget them. And he looked upon this nation that he had made a covenant with, and he called them out back to himself, back to what was best for them and what was good. He called them out of slavery. He delivered them from Pharaoh, who was arguably the greatest leader and greatest nation of the day. God had put Pharaoh in his place and brought his people out. And he did that by speaking regularly through this guy named Moses. Moses was with them from the time that they were in Egypt addressing all these things with Pharaoh through plagues and through uh, a Red Sea and evading Pharaoh's army and all of these things. Moses was with them. When they got into the desert and didn't have food, Moses spoke to God and God provided. Moses was this pillar in their community. And we get to the base of Mount Sinai. We haven't been there in a while, a couple of weeks. We, uh, three weeks ago, we were in Mount Sinai. Um, the last two weeks have, have kind of gotten us out of sync. Um, but at Mount Sinai, Israel made camp, and God dwelt on the mountain of Mount Sinai, and he spoke audibly to the entire nation, and they made a covenant with God at Sinai. And they knew that God was real and present and that Moses was a mediator between them. Moses would frequently go up on the mountain to speak with God. And this time, in this chapter, Moses is gone a little longer than usual. We know that he was gone probably 40 days up on the mountain. And he didn't bring supplies for 40 days. It says that he was fasting, that food was provided for him on the mountain. So the people, maybe rightfully, doubted whether or not he was coming back. They knew Moses was on the mountain meeting with God. They knew God hadn't forgotten them because he called them out of Egypt. They knew God was with them. He spoke to them when they made the covenant. And they knew they were not in Egypt. 
But what they didn't realize was how much of Egypt was still in them. Just because the people leave Egypt doesn't mean Egypt leaves the people. Just because you have left Egypt doesn't mean that Egypt has left you. How do we know that Egypt is still with us? We talked, Cody talked about um, Egypt in the first uh, sermon in this series being a place of growth and a place of comfort and actually a place of salvation for this, this family. There was a famine that caused this family to leave where they were to go to Egypt. And it was a place of abundance where they were provided for, where God had good things in store for them. But they stayed too long and they forgot their God. And it be, this good thing became a bad thing. It became something that competed with God. How do we know that Egypt is still with us? That maybe we are holding on too long to something that either we never should have come to in the first place or that maybe was good for a time, but we've overstayed our welcome. What do you do when your security blanket's gone? First, what is your security blanket? Is it a retirement savings? Is it a relationship? Is it your free time? What do you hold on to as that thing that brings you comfort and brings you this semblance of uh, hope? Something you look forward to. Something that as long as you have, you feel safe. Well, what did Israel do? They had a lot of things that were not going their way. They had lost their occupations, their professions. They were wandering in a desert instead of living in a lush part of Egypt. They likely had lost at this point or, or used for food most of their uh, flocks and the supplies that they had brought with them. Uh, they were subsiding primarily on manna at this point. Um, the food was different. All these things were strange. And when these things were taken away from them, when their security blanket or this person that's familiar that speaks to God on their behalf is gone and away from the camp and they suddenly don't have anything, it seems, to fall back on tangibly, what do they do? In verse 1, we see that when the people saw that Moses delayed from coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Make us gods who shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They're, they almost speak derogatorily towards Moses. As for this Moses, this guy that has been our leader. What's become of him? He's not even here. He's not here to lead us. They speak illy of him. They act impulsively and ignorantly. I love, uh, you know, it says, we do not know what has become of him. They're ignorant of the situation. And I challenge you, if your first words are, we don't know what we should do, you probably should wait. 
If you don't know where to go, wait on God. They didn't have this framework. They went to something that they knew. They had left Egypt, but Egypt had not left them. Egypt set up gods for themselves out of gold and out of bronze and out of stone. And that is what they turned to. They couldn't see God. They couldn't see Moses, his messenger, his mediator. And so they want to turn to something tangible to lead them. It says in verse 4 that Israel turns after this um, idol. They make this idol, and then they say, they say, meaning Israel, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You know, they, they turn from what was their security blanket to the thing that they can tangibly access. And they make it themselves in order to do that. You know, we're in uh, you know, chapter 32. In chapter 20, they receive, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. There's this uh, interaction with God and the people at the base of the mountain where the people commit to this covenant uh, with God. And as part of that, you know, we see the first two commandments, that you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a graven image. This was maybe months, maybe two months, before they're making a calf. It didn't take them long to get to that point. I don't know from this passage whether uh, they, they're obviously breaking both of those commandments to a degree, but I think the second more than the first. I don't know that they are abandoning Yahweh God who brought them out of Egypt, but they are adding to him this calf. It's the plurals in that, that passage. They said that these are your gods. They made one calf and yet they say these. Multiple are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. They're not necessarily throwing Yahweh God away, but they are minimizing him by trying to add to him this other thing. Because they can't see God, they want something they can see and that they can experience. Making of bulls was a common, worship of bulls was a common practice in Egypt. It was familiar to them and they thought they needed something physical to see and touch in order to follow. And anytime we minimize God and try to add to it, it really speaks to what we trust. What is the foundation on which we are building our worship and our faith? What are we acting out of? What do we trust? And in this case, they decided that they were going to trust in a false image, this image that they create, but they also decide to trust in Aaron, another man, Moses' brother, who had been with Moses from the beginning who God had sent with Moses to speak to Pharaoh and to speak on his behalf because Moses was not very articulate. So he had this proximity to leadership and yet uh, was not the leader God had chosen. 
And in the absence of strong leadership, people will trust in weaker leaders. The people wanted leadership. They said, make us gods who will go before us. Someone to send out ahead to show us the way to go. Most of us do. We want good leadership. History shows us how common it is for masses of people to follow poor leaders. How many times do we place somebody in leadership in our lives into a place where God should have that leadership over us? A lot of us as Christians, we don't necessarily turn away from God or stop believing in him, stop having faith in him, but we minimize him by placing our trust in other things and in other leadership. How often do we as Christians place trust, too much trust, trust in place of trusting God in leaders of the church? I've been listening to a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, a very um, prominent church and church leader who, when the leader fell, the entire church dissolved almost overnight because they were trusting perhaps more in this man that was leading the church than in God who should have been leading them both. How often do we place trust in political leadership instead of in God or hold it to the same standard that we hold our trust in God? And we let people outside of the church speak into our lives and tell us what is important and what we should worship and what we should worry about and what we should fear and what we should praise. God alone is deserving of that trust. It doesn't mean that we don't have opinions on those things. It doesn't mean that we... Uh, we act outside of, of our conscience on those things, but we don't hold them to the same level. You know, I, I recognize the difficult position Aaron was in. The leader is gone. Aaron is kind of the de facto leader because he had proximity to Moses. And here is a nation of people coming to him, a mass of people pleading. to him to act, to give them something that they needed that he could not provide. We know later that Aaron was the high priest appointed by God to lead worship in his tabernacle, to lead the worship of the people of Israel. And I think from that we can see that Aaron's not entirely gone. That happens after this. This, this moment was part of his history at that point but it didn't define him. You know, maybe Aaron had, you know, there's a few things that point to the fact that I think Aaron didn't necessarily abandon God, but tried to accommodate the world around him and those influences that were pushing on him. Maybe he was stalling. Maybe he was trying to buy time. But we see that, uh, you know, he, uh, it says that, you know, after the 
image had been made. He built an altar and he says, tomorrow we will have a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh. There's still this part of him that is just drawn to this worship of God. And yet he's capitulating to the influences and the pressures around him. It's almost unfathomable to think that Moses would have done the same thing. Whether or not the people were taking advantage of a a gap in leadership, or more likely, they just lost faith. They lost hope when their leader was gone. God hadn't spoken to them for a while, and they lost hope. The other interesting thing is they stopped giving God credit. They say in verse 1, the Israelites said that Moses brought them out of Egypt. This is the man who brought you out of Egypt. They don't give that credit to God. We do the same kinds of things. When God delays in our lives, how many times have you prayed for something and it hasn't happened right away or in your timing? To me, it happens all the time. But we trust that God hears us and that he is working and that he has our best interests at heart. That he is moving and maybe is delaying to see how we'll respond. Do we respond with faith and trust or with impulse and impatience when we don't get what we want? In Egypt, everything was at their fingertips, so to speak. And just because they left Egypt does not mean that Egypt left them. What is God's response to their sin? Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, and my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Speaking to Moses. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, my... Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Here's Moses giving God the credit he deserves. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn, God, from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring. And they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing of his people. Moses prays for four main things. He recognizes God's role. You brought these people out. You did this. This was your will and your desire was to bring these people out. It was an act of of worship and praise to God to give him the respect he was due in his role. He then says, what would Egypt say? Which is, you know, I think, uh, we we tend to think of that in, in human terms. Um, I remember growing up in, I grew up in the church. My parents were Christians. And I remember, uh, 
this is perhaps generational, perhaps to the fact that we were in the church, but I can't tell you how many times it was, what, what, what will the neighbors say if you do this? What will so-and-so say? There's this reputation that needs to be upheld within our family, or there's this reputation. Um, but I don't know that Moses intended it in terms of like, we'll just look bad. You'll look bad if we do this. I think it's a lot more his desire to make God's name famous. God says that he will do that. He will make his name famous amongst the nations. And I think this, Moses reminds God of what he has already said. What will Egypt say? You will be famous in this world. Your name will be great. Your name will be known. You are holy and set apart and wonderful, and Egypt needs to know that. And then he makes a request. Turn from your anger. Seems like a big ask. When it sounds like God is set on responding in such a drastic way. God God says that he will consume the nation of Israel and make another great nation out of you, out of Moses. There's almost this, well, there is this just reminiscence of uh, the story of Noah in the Old Testament where God does wipe out the evil in the world and saves one man to bring forth the rest of his plan. Or of Abraham, the father of this family, when it says he calls him out of the nations to be his servant. And yet he asks him to relent, to remember his covenant. We've talked a lot in this series about the importance of remembering what God has done and remembering God's promise. When we pray like Moses did, how important is it for us to pray Scripture, to pray back the words of God? It's a reminder to us of what he has said in our lives, and it's a reminder of the promises he's made and what he will do. And what happened? The Lord relented. He listened to the prayer of his servant Moses. And the disaster that was spoken of being brought on the people was not. You know, while it's true that Egypt doesn't leave us just because we leave Egypt, it's also true that God doesn't leave us when we leave God. He is faithful. He is going to pursue us regardless of our actions. This is the meaning of, of this time at Mount Sinai. God's people needed to know who they were and what they were capable of to the point of making a false god as well as who God is and what he is capable of.
God's grace is scandalous. You can't out-sin His mercy if you are His. He is a God of second chances. A God who forgives. We talked two weeks ago about the tabernacle. And I bring it up again to say that while Moses is on that mountain for an extended period of time, God is telling Moses, I am giving you what my people need. I know that my people need a physical reminder of who I am. And this is how I want it to be. While the people are down at the base of the mountain trying to make a tangible representation of a God. God is up there telling Moses, in this tabernacle, I want you to have this, this lampstand that's built like a tree with branches and almond buds that's just reminiscent of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And I want that light never to go out. And I want it to shine across the room onto this table that has 12 loaves of bread that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, my people at the base of the mountain. And I want them to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, know that my light of life is shining on them, that they are always in my presence. But look what they're making. God had a plan to represent himself and who he is, not in a physical form, because God cannot be limited to that. But he wanted to remind his people and he wanted to give them the physical reminder that he is God that would be in the center of their camp and walk with them everywhere until they were in that promised land. That's what God was doing with Moses on the mountain while they were impatient. And they chose their own way to physically represent a God that would go before them. It's almost laughable. It's ironic that God is giving them exactly what they want. It's just taken a little bit longer than what they had planned. And then God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, his son, into this world to create a new Israel, to permanently give us a representation of himself, to be physically present with his people, to speak to them, to be known to them, to be able to look in his face, to create a new nation of Israel through faith, the church, that anyone who places their trust in Jesus is part of his new covenant people. Jesus is described in the New Testament as the better sacrifice than all of those Passover lambs ever pointed to. Jesus is the better mediator, priest, and deliverer than Moses foreshadowed. And Jesus stands now today, risen in heaven, at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf reminding God of what he has done on our behalf and the covenant he made with his blood. 
like Moses, he is praying and interceding on behalf of his people. Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. And his mercies are new every morning. Jesus is a better security blanket. We are wrapped up in his righteousness, eternally secure and at peace with God. And we remember him today. Moving into a time of communion. And once again, God knows we need a reminder as we tend to stray. And so Jesus established communion before he died as a way to remember what he has done for us, what he, the relationship he has called us into. We take the bread which represents his body and his life given for us and his blood, the juice spilt on our behalf that we can be called righteous before God. And if you are a baptized believer, we invite you um, in the coming moments to take of communion and remember what God has done, where he is now, and the spirit he sent to live in us as believers. If you're not there, if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just invite you into a conversation. Ask the questions that you have. I'll be sitting up here during worship. You can come talk to me or I'll be in the lobby afterwards. You can just pull me aside and ask those questions. We can get coffee this week. Uh, we do coffee with the pastor and Cody will be back soon um, if you're more comfortable with that. But we want to start that conversation so that you can know this God too. And I invite you all to worship with us. To sing to this God and give him the place and the praise that he alone is due. You pray with me. Father, you are a good, good God and you are holy. You are set apart. You stand alone as our creator and as the only God worthy of worship. No matter what we try to make with our own hands. You alone are worthy of praise. And I can't tell you how many times in my own life, and, and I'm sure in, in our church we have people that just minimize that holiness. That we think, well, this isn't that bad. God doesn't care that much about this. We minimize your holiness in that. We don't think of you rightly. And I pray, Spirit, that you would move in our lives and make your name famous. Make yourself known to us, your holiness and your mercy, the grace that you shared. We love you. We pray this in your name.